Hello, my name is Morgan Gray, and welcome back to the Afrocentric Podcast. Us living as we do, upside down, and the new word to have is revolution. People don't even want to hear the preacher spill or spill, because God's whole thought has been thoroughly peeped, and America is now blood and tears instead of milk and honey. Woke up one night digging Paul Revere and Nat Turner as the good guys. America stripped for bed and we had not all yet closed our eyes. The signs of truth were tattooed across our often injured vagina. We learned to our amazement the untold tale of scandal. Two long centuries buried in a musty vault, hosed down daily with a gagging perfume. America was a bastard, the illegitimate daughter of the mother country legs were then spread around the world and a rapist known as freedom free doom democracy liberty and justice were revolutionary code names that preceded the bubbling 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 in the mother country's crotch what does webster say about soul all i want is a good home and a wife and a children and some food to feed them every night After all is said and done, build a new route to China if they'll have you. Who will survive in America? 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 We don't funk with racism. We don't funk with people who don't support the LGBTQ plus community. Baby, we damn sure don't fuck with anybody who don't love a beautiful black queen, baby. You see this case? When they go low, I go low oh. You don't let nobody act black and then go home and be white? I got two pistols and a pit bull. Me. That's all I need. It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. You think Harriet Tubman was walking around with a fucking nice shiny fucking dress on with a fucking crown on her head when she was taking slaves to freedom? And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. And we are back with the Afrocentric Podcast. The title of this episode is called Who Will Survive America? And it is featuring one of my close friends, my homegirl, Ace Boom Coon, Amelia Matthews. Hey, y'all. Yeah. Amelia, say hey to the people. Hey to the people upstairs and downstairs and on the porch, too. Oh, look, that is so cute. All right, so this episode, we are going to be focusing on Black America. We are going to be focusing on life as a Black American one year after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, as well as the overturning of affirmative action that happened this summer, as well as where we are politically and what our thoughts are as Black people about modern politics and what's going on. I feel like This conversation is so exciting because ever since 2020, there has been such a rise in black people participating, 
annotating, analyzing the news way more carefully than before. And I feel like we're going to be great examples and representation of intelligent black people that know what's going on in our country. I would like to purpose this and say that I am not a political science major. Um, I'm going to school for criminology and psychology. So I come from the standpoint of things in criminology but um i have a political i'm like a political junkie so just want to say that for the people i want to let the people know that this like she underplaying it amelia watched the news 24 amelia is who i get the news from well see it's kind of like my tv it's kind of like reality tv for me like the stuff that just happened a couple you know like a week ago with the speakership and stuff that that gets me that get my rocks off mm -hmm. you gotta get reeled up there so um like i said i'm not i'm not a republican i'm not a democrat i think that both parties are trash at this point but i just want to let people know that that's beautiful but we are going to encourage them to vote yes we want you to vote now i don't care who you vote for but i just also want you to be knowledgeable about, about people who you are voting for in your district in your town and locally and nationwide this is so sweet and hopefully this conversation that we get ready to have is going to give you more information and more insight on what's going on in your day-to-day -day life on a very state local nationwide like apparatus of view so yeah let's go ahead and get into it Now, young people, it's time to get up and vote. No cap. Democracy is stronger when all people participate. If you run into any problems, make sure you are calling the voter protection hotline at any time. That number is 866-OUR-VOTE. Or make sure you hit them up on their website at 866-OUR-VOTE dot gov slash state slash mississippi backslash make sure you're following our organization fair count on social media that's at fair count and we will be sharing voting resources instagram youtube videos we have a twitter account a facebook account you need it you name it we got it when voting in person let me give you a couple tips and this applies to anyone make sure you stay in line take your umbrella a book some AirPods, take your phone, download some music, movies, your favorite television show. Make sure to bring your own water and snacks and do not share any water or snacks with other people. Bring a lawn chair, bring a towel for the ground. Hopefully you won't have to spend a great deal of time in a line. Remember that the polls must be open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Central Time on Election Day. A voter in line at the polling place by 7 p.m. must be allowed to vote. Are you looking to vote absentee? Make sure you contact your county circuit clerk as soon as possible in order to see if you're eligible. All mail-in absentee ballots must be postmarked by Election Day, November 7th. Remember, you guys, your voices do matter. Make sure you get up and vote. No cap. Uh, let's get ready to rumble!
an Afrocentric tradition that we have is this segment that I like to call Fight, Mary Kill, African American Edition. Um, if you've never heard of this game, I wanted to let you know that this is a classic game of Fuck, Mary Kill with a little twist on it. And I want you to understand that I'm going to be presenting you with a list of three African American household names and you're going to have to decide whether you want to fight them, whether you're going to marry them or kill them, okay? Okay. All right. So, Amelia, your list is Drake, Method Man, and Keith Sweat, Fight, Mary Kill. I'm already tell you. Mm-hmm. We killing off Drake today. This, okay. Tell me why. Um, You know, I was, I'm, I'm going to say I'm a Drake fan. Um, But I think, like, the dissing of women, the dissing of black women, I can't get it. Oh, yeah. Drake is definitely red pill alpha man now. Alpha so, bro. I feel like we're going to just kill you off. Like, yeah, before it gets too out of hand. Yeah, because you just doing a lot. It's okay to express your feelings about, like, relationships you had or even with dealings with women that you, 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 you know. But when you get the talking about different things and just out, you know. You just outlandish then, with it. Yeah, we're going to just kill him off. That's good. That's a good form of population control. Okay. I like that. You know, sometimes you, but you got to put weed killer out on the weeds. So that the weeds won't spread no far. Oh yeah, and then you and then you also have to put them with pesticides. Yeah, or, you know the spray out just you know just you yeah. know, just for the bugs won't come back and make it grow. My God, because I'm so see, I'm from the Delta. I'm from the Mississippi Delta. She from the dirty, dirty. Okay, so. Down in the valley where the girls get naked. You know, in my part of the state of Mississippi, honey, mm-hmm. we our weeds grow outlandish like we got those big ass uh you know mosquitoes we call them jailhouse mosquitoes well so our grass is is outlandish too see um personally i believe the mosquito is the mississippi state bird oh well they big enough to be yeah we can ride you ain't never been to the delta if you ain't from the delta all my delta people know is if you in in the summertime if you get stung by a mosquito your arm is gonna swell up like you ate a peanut if you were allergic yo the 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 bites are huge so we we gonna we gonna kill him okay all right Method Man. We're gonna marry him. I love Method Man. He's so fine, girl. Uh I think I my love of Method Man came from all his acting. Like oh. I listened to, you know, you know, I listened to him rap with, with the group. But I think he's a good actor and he's been acting for a long time, so that's why I'm gonna marry him. He just look good. And he to just, look at. He's just a nice, respectable older man. I love that girl, yes. cause I do some real disrespectful stuff to that man. Oh well see he's married, so I don't I, I close my legs to marry men and not them. So. Oh come on well what you gonna do with Keith Sweat then? Well we're gonna have to fight Keith Sweat. <laughs> We're going to have to fight him just because, you know, we just want some more music from him. My God. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for playing this game. I hope you learned something about yourself and the way that you see the world. My God. All right. Amelia, can you discuss the question of who will survive America? And this phrase is referencing Jill Scott Heron's poem of the same name. Okay. So... I'm going to be honest, honest, and I hadn't never heard of the poem. I've heard of him 
and I've heard like the the most popular one is white is on oh the revolution will not be televised oh good I thought you were gonna say white is on the moon you ain't never heard of white is on the moon no I have never and I'm I'm kind of ashamed of myself because I I love black literature you should be ashamed I am very ashamed but that's why we got to bring shame back into the school system okay because you I'm I'm shame on you okay yeah so I listened to the poem and I, I I loved it and um I have a couple of points that I got out of the poem so the first one would be um he is talking about at this my interpretation is he's talking about the start of the um, civil rights movement in in that area he's talking about black family life and culture the decaying of black neighborhoods and um and just overall how black people are being treated okay very much so and i completely agree with you like in essence the poem really speaks to this idea that america has become this really hard and cruel place something that is considered like blood and tears instead of the land of milk and honey something that seems like it was destined to be so really like you were saying he is talking about what is like what the state of america is right now and how this american dream is kind of compared to it and it's not what it seems to be and he really describes like the nation as this frozen and stuck in a bitter season of ice and really talking about the toiling under a deceitful administration and i wanted to bring this poem up because it really does like i said reflect the culture especially with american politics and what's going on especially with the south with redlining what's going on with jackson and and jackson mississippi and flint michigan with uh the water crisis in both areas yes new orleans right now yes with their water crisis so we're seeing like so many of these common these common themes being brought up within this poem and um it really kind of sets the tone for what we're gonna be talking about today um i'm gonna say this i think that if you look at any black literature that has been written since black people could write and read spoken you know or you know our language as black people is we do spoken word whether it's singing from gospel to blues um and going to other different forms of music and also poetry that you can pick a poem out like this poem right here and you're like okay at the basis of what he's saying you would think we're in 2023 but no he's talking about civil rights movement but you can kind of see what you know, as a as a person now living, you would think he's talking about right now in this moment. Because who will survive America? I think black people will survive America. Honestly, we built this country. No, and then on top of that. Oh, and let's not forget about the indigenous people. I know it was indigenous people day on um, Monday. We don't say Columbus Day. We no say more. indigenous people day. And um, so, and I, you know, we wow. won't forget them. We won't forget them. Shout out to Sacagawea. Yes. We want to say the Cherokees. Uh-huh. the tribe the yes. um, Eskimos all of them from yes. the tippy tops from, from sea to shining this land is your land this land is my land from California to the New York Islands yeah this okay. land was made for you and me I don't know if they told you that well that's not what we see though precisely so yes and all in all I just want to say that 
this conversation as well as Jill Scott Heron's poem Who Will Survive in America is really going to be a critique of the predominantly white movement and really is claimed to represent this amount of radical change and how it is affecting us as minorities, as black people, and as women. Amelia, can you explain what affirmative action is and what it was originally created to do within the minority community? Okay, before we get to that, can we take it back to the poem? Is that okay? Yeah, girl. Okay, so um, like I said, um, the first part, he's talking about the civil rights movement area, era. And then he um, starts speaking about these three words. And these are often words that get spoken every time there's an uprising in America. And the three words are democracy, liberty, and justice. Democracy, liberty, and justice. These three words stood out to me because I'm a millennial, so I'm 28. And... Um, during the time that I was in elementary school, from the third grade to the sixth grade, I had to stand up in all my classes and we had to face the flag, put our hands on our heart with our right hand and say the Pledge of Allegiance in the preamble. So <laughs> I'm very familiar with the Pledge of Allegiance. I can say it right now and I have not been in school for a decade or so. Don't state that blast for me up in here. Uh, well, I'm not going to state it, but I just want you to know for the people who are millennials mm -hmm. that grew up saying, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance and preamble every time they would go into a class at the start of the day. All we did was put our backpacks down and we had to make sure we had to say it. And if we didn't say it, we got penalized for it. Let me say that. Let me say that. So when I was in the 10th grade, I had come to terms with what the Constitution was and how I felt about the Constitution as a descendant of enslaved Africans. And I had came to the conclusion that I didn't really want to say the Pledge of Allegiance just because the words within the pledge did not represent my life and the lives lived of my ancestors. Like it seemed like a farce, like something I was forced to do and not something I really wanted to do because a bitch don't be feeling patriotic. Um, well, I'm glad you got to that point early in your life because I on. didn't get to that point when I was 10th grade. Oh, baby, well, you know, God has done a number on me. So I had a teacher and he was a retired naval vet. He was he had been um, all up under the sea like Sebastian in the mermaids mm. and such. So um, when I sat down on my desk, that joker, he went flat off on me. He like got up out of his seat. He ran up on me. This joker wasn't no little man. He had to been 350. Mm. Big pot belly. Good scruffy beard. Oh my lord. That's what I said when he ran up on me. You better get up. You better put your hand on your heart and recite that pledge. And I get it because I have family members who are in the military who serve proudly. I get that. But you know, it's just, you know. I'm not disrespecting them. I just don't have respect for the the Pledge of Allegiance and such. Thank you so much for coming to my TED Talk. Um, I don't, someone wanted to fight me, but it's okay. Um, you know, it's just it just was a misunderstanding. It really, it's really we don't fight against flesh and blood. If y'all know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So it was really spiritual more than personal. It's just the devil for real. But 
Yeah. I'm not here to fight. I'm sorry whatever I did to offend you. I don't want to fight. Like I said, I did that up until third and sixth grade. And so the my formative years, it foreshadowed the way I look at America now because now that I can sit back and think about some things that you know I had to do in school, like the Pledge of Allegiance and the preamble, it hit me in the face. Like, you know those little metal slings? I don't know. Did you play with those little metal slingy things? I'm trying to come. Bitch, you know the preamble. Yeah, we had to say that. Girl, what's the preamble? <laughs> I, I can't tell you the preamble right now, but I can tell you the Pledge of Allegiance. See, that's what's wrong with our generation now, because them TikTok niggas ain't gonna know no preamble. Well, see, you can go look that up, but um, it hit me back, it hit me in the face like a sling, because now, you know, realizing there, there were things that we were conditioned to do because of whiteness in the country. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm realizing, you know, as I researched mm. and and pulled my notes out my about, God. about this topic to you know today. Well. Um, I realized I came from a tribe of people who would never have known what the next episode was because they were free until they weren't. My God. That so, is a revelation. Yes. So, you know, it stirred up some things in me while I was researching and, and, and praying and hoping and fasting. My my research. my 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 Okay, so the second thing that he talked, he touched about was like black military men fighting in the Vietnam War, which the Vietnam War started in 1954 and it lasts until like 1975. Mm -hmm. And this is where we see the W V campaign, Victory yes. Abroad and Victory at Home. And it's uh, basically surfaced around the idea that black men, if they were here in America, would not have the equality and rights that they are abroad fighting for. So these um, churches, um, grassroots movements were praying for their safety and victory abroad as well as their safety and victory here and doing again got to point out the fact that people military men were the ones who protected the black community from like the 1920s 30s and all the way up you yes. can see this with the memphis massacre because yes. they were the first ones on the scene to protect 1946 african-american soldiers returning from the war were being lynched at a rate of one a week there are cases when black soldiers waiting at the train station, uh, uh, waiting uh, their ride, were, were lynched because how dare they wear that uniform? They had died for the lyncher and his right to murder them. This was the paradox and indeed the vicious irony of uh, the black participation in the Second World War and the fight for democracy on foreign shores, which drove them to fight even more vigorously back here at home. But please continue. Okay, so... During that time, while they were overseas, they were also facing racism because they were serving with white men, but you they know, were still segregated. They were still segregated, and also they were they were getting shot at and by white men that they were so called serving with. Yeah. So can you imagine you going off to war overseas, leaving your family behind? You you've already dealt with racism in the states, and now you're overseas and you're dealing with it, and you're getting racism with you know in a whole different other country mm -hmm. by the same people that you left but you're still fighting for the liberty of and all those people and for all of all people that uh -huh. in the u.s yes so during this time 
the only thing that helped them survive is they came up with the slogan, the DAP. Do you know what that is, Morgan? Tell me about that DAP now. Baby, the DAP is dignity and pride, honey. Ooh. It is a handshake that black people still do today. You oh, see yeah. how we we have traditions that last so long for centuries and centuries. So it symbolized for them as a survival mechanism that regardless of who the black man was, where they were from, they would do the dap and to let them know that it was all love and they had their backs. This beautiful. So, yes. So, you know, I found when I did my research on this, I was like, see how black people are resilient. These men are over here fighting for a country that is still not even looking at them as citizens. And the only way that they can survive with each other is to be creative, which we've done for centuries. And maintain. That's nice. But when they came back home, Mm -hmm. what did they come back home with? They came back home broken. They thought they were serving God in their country, but they only was served racism, morphine, and heroin. You better preach in this whole today. So that's what I got out of that poem. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for your interpretation. Let's let's go ahead and transition this to current day, the overturning of affirmative action. Okay. What is affirmative action? Affirmative action to me is governmental and private policies and programs that was design, designed to... Um, address? Yes, to address the injustices of specific groups. So these groups would be women, minorities... So, you know, I don't, you know, when you do a job application before affirmative action was, you know, overturned or um, college application, it would say at the bottom when it talks about, you know, if you at the bottom, if you read the fine print, you say this job or this school does not discriminate against anybody of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation or or religion or disability. Come on. That was affirmative action. So, okay, continue. So, who started Affirmative Action? You know that? Come on, who, tell who me. Know? The people in the back know? The no, the niggas there? in the back don't know. Okay, the pe- who, who started it was President Lyndon B. Johnson. Yes. In 1964, formerly known as LBJ. Come on, the realest nigga to ever do it. He championed Affirmative Action when he was vice president. So, he saw that there was a void in federal um, appointments in the U.S., and so he wanted to appoint more mi- more women and minorities. So he gave two black judges federal judgeships, which means federal judges are appointed for a lifetime. Do you remember the DAP? Do you still do the DAP 16 years later? You'd have to take me through it. I would, yeah, I could sort of Just one, a modified one. Uh, yeah. The DAP was the unofficial greeting of one blood to another, an occasion of endless handshakes and grips, a two-minute way of saying, you are my brother and I will die for you, and meanwhile, blood, I'll see you back in the world. Okay, so affirmative action, who started was... 
President Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, in 1964, he appointed two black federal judges, so these judges would be in there for life. They could not be fired. They could not be reelected or elected like state judges are, so they set up on the bench. And so from there, he started affirmative action. And so... Um, if you want to take it back <laughs> to Clarence Thomas, he Clar this is the reason why Clarence Thomas, he's supposed to be a black man, but, you know. I oh, don't, he is a coon, baby. Well, you, you know, know what Dr. Umar said. Black women, stop making love to coons. Stop giving your womb to coons. I'm going to say it again. Stop giving your womb to the coons because when you give your womb to the coons, you have a coon womb. And when you have a coon womb, black woman, you can only give birth to baby coons. So stop giving your womb to the coons. I mean it, sisters. If y'all stop, stop, stop giving out your French vanilla cookies and your banana cookies and your lemon cookies and your butter pecan cookies and your butter almond cookies and your caramel cookies and your sweet brown sugar cookies and your chocolate fudge cookies. If you stop giving out your cookies to the brothers before they do the work, sisters, we can get some work done. So black women, please stop making love to brothers who ain't building. Birth certificates say colored. Oh, well, his but blood he, say cooned. Yeah, okay, so uh, Clarence Thomas, has a he had a big problem with affirmative action. That's why he wrote the the opinion on it after they turned it down because he felt like if it wasn't for affirmative action he wouldn't have been so seen as a token black person see well it just sounds like clarence thompson has a problem with himself he does have a problem with himself but it's also being in white spaces and they are drooling in your head about black people and so he internalized it and now he does not see see for a long time i'm thinking to myself he does not he has not seen himself as a black man in a long time for decades he might see the blackness when he looks in the mirror but in the inside he does not feel like a black man in the inside he feels like a white man with all power because he's a federal judge which again he's appointed for a lifetime so the only time he would not be a judge is if he dies and uh, i don't which death on, on, I don't go into that business, but that is the only time that a judge will get appointed to a new seat. Well, they trying everything in the book to get him removed right now, especially with his um private spending and him not reporting it to the courts and stuff. Well, it's working because he he's uh recused himself for a case, but he said, you know, he said a couple of months ago he wouldn't recuse himself for any case. So, you got to keep applying that pressure. Oh, them folks is definitely calling the house down and reporting. And it's not just him, it's Samuel Alito, too. Oh, yes. And then we also have a report on uh, Judge Roberts, yes, and George Sotomayor. Yeah, she... she not Sotomayor! Yeah, she, she... So, like I said, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. And so, if you are doing things as a federal judge or any politician and you know you're not supposed to be doing them, I'm all here for the calling out. So. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's time to change it up anyway. It's time to go and switch it on up and get them on up out of here. They ain't doing what they supposed to do, but I'm shocked. For those who don't know, um, Judge Sotomayor is a Hispanic woman. Yeah. And she's a, she's a she was appointed by a Democratic president. Yes, and she was one of the few who stood on the opposition when it comes to Roe versus Wade. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
Um, so again, let me go over a few more key points when it comes to affirmative action before we move on. So like you said, affirmative action really was created to help boost the majority employment by really emphasizing these hiring results in the federally funded construction jobs. And it was really created as a way to allow colleges to take steps towards creating greater equity in admissions. So when we're talking about ideas like race-based conscious politics, things like affirmative action um, or aims to address this radical discrimination, we need to focus on recognizing and responding to like these structural barriers that have denied this underrepresentation of students across all forms of higher education. So I don't think what people realize is that now that um, affirmative action has been struck down, it's going to start at the school level. And we're seeing those changes now, but it will slowly leak into the job, the job industry and this was really scary hey good morning take a look at this clip from a PBS frontline documentary titled Clarence and Jenny Thomas politics power and the Supreme Court for a better understanding of why Clarence Thomas hates affirmative action it's brought to you in part by your local PBS station and viewers like you thank you and all you got to say is man I'm a Yale alum and bam you got a job that was our perception he had thought, well, you know what, I just go, go make me a bunch of money, maybe go to New York and be a lawyer. He and Kathy moved into married student housing. They made a connection with their neighbor. We were both in married student housing. He set up his study room in what should have been, you know, a joint storage room. His classmate, John Bolton, would become UN ambassador Under Secretary of State and National Security Advisor. And uh, we started talking and talked for the next two years, basically, and uh, that's where we got to know each other. Over time, Thomas would open up to Bolton. I don't think he was terribly happy at the law school. Look, people at Yale Law School, generically speaking, are a pretty arrogant group. Uh, They think that they're going to rule the world. For example, in the year ahead of us were Bill and Hillary Clinton. That was kind of the atmosphere. I don't think Clarence came with that in mind for himself. And I think it was kind of off-putting. There are other black students there, but again, the black students who are there, like he doesn't feel they are like him. He's not part of the elite. They're, in his mind, privileged kids, you know, the sons and daughters of doctors and lawyers. So he feels, again, like the outcast. He believed that people assumed he was there as a a beneficiary of affirmative action, and it grated on him. He has this feeling of, oh, I'm around these white students who he senses question his presence at Yale. How is it that you, not just you, Clarence Thomas, but you, all you black students are here? Is it because of merit? or is it because of affirmative action? There was one law professor, Ralph Winter, who in a challenging way mentioned this. People don't think, you know, you deserve to be here, that kind of thing, and Thomas doesn't take it as a challenge, he takes it as a slight. Rather than try to fit in, Thomas tried to stand out. He dressed in overalls and a T-shirt. It was kind of a uniform. 
uh, neither one of us was terribly rich, so I, I didn't wear overalls, but I understood what it meant for him. With Clarence Thomas, what you see is somebody who's isolating himself. And he's kind of saying, you know, I don't want to try to join you, maybe because he doesn't want to be rejected again. After three years of Yale Law School, graduation was nearing. But Clarence Thomas wasn't getting the offers he expected from prestigious law firms. He was saying that he wasn't getting the kind of offers that other students were getting. Um, and, um, and we couldn't understand it. We thought that, well, you know, you're at Yale, and if you're not getting offers, something, something's wrong, you know, because that's the whole purpose of going to those schools. Thomas would never forget the sting of those rejections. He said he would keep stacks of rejection letters he had gotten from law firms. Even when he was like a Supreme Court justice, he had these letters just to sort of remind him of those, again, this feeling of rejection by kind of the elite law firms. He had his Yale Law degree, and he had a 10-cent stamp stuck to it. You know, like a 10-cent price tag stuck to it. Because he's like, yeah, this is what it's worth, right? 10 cents, so I know more. He came to blame affirmative action for the rejection he felt. Now I knew what a law degree from Yale was worth when it bore the taint of racial preference. I was humiliated and desperate. He thought that his degree was devalued, that he didn't get the same kind of cachet out of the degree once he was looking for a job and trying to move in his career. He assumed that others were assuming that it's a Yale law degree, but with an asterisk next to it. I disagree. I disagree totally. Orion Douglas had a strikingly similar academic journey to Clarence Thomas's. Scholarship to Holy Cross, law school, eventually becoming a judge. I ain't gonna blame affirmative action for not getting a job when you never was offered the job for 100 years before, okay? <laughs> The system was still there. The infrastructure for separation, discrimination was still there. It was still the segregated mindset of white America. So I think, I don't think for a lot of people, they don't know, like, I know in, for millennials and Gen Z, we grew up on just having affirmative action, but we don't know where it got started from. Like the first landmark case was in 1973 and it was Regents, versus California Medical School. Mm. And um, this guy, <laughs> okay, so this white man, mm -hmm. he sued um, this medical school because he said that they were letting minorities in and he didn't get the spot that he wanted. And he said out of they set aside six, 16 spots out of 100 candidates and he was denied because of a minority person. Wow. So in 1978, the Supreme Court ruled that no, you can't have any quotas, but yes, there can be um a um there can be a minority can be chosen for uh employment or education. So the affirmative action ruling has been challenged many of times. Um, the recent one was in 2016. What but, happened? 
Well, baby, see, um, I'm, my mind is slipping me, okay? My mind is a little gone. <laughs> I, have to, I have to ask God to guard my mind because I just be having all kinds of stuff in my mind. Yes. But, the okay, so the case that actually got it overturned um, in 2003, 2023 was, um, let me say it right, Students of Fair of Missions versus Harvard and University of North Carolina. Now, this is where you saw a Asian man named Alan Blackie. My God. Blackie, or however you say his you name. You said probably said it right. <laughs> he, um, so he argued that Harvard um, had no standing of having race conscious admissions. And he also um, did this with the University of North Carolina. So long story short is he took it to the Supreme Court and affirmative action was overturned so the, hold on remind them what year this happened now this happened this year 2023 the year of my lord yeah the year of my lord and savior honey. my god he is my rock and my shield yes he is now yes yes uh, so you know he, uh the 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 court went majority because it is a conservative judge supreme judges which is six Republican judges, they're very conservative, and there's only three Democratic, they say liberal judges. And so, uh, Judge Kentonji Brown, she had to recuse herself. That's why when you look at the case, it only says 6-2 because she graduated from Harvard. So, she any case that has to do with something about Harvard or anything that that's a conflict of interest, you have to recuse yourself. Now, you're supposed to anyway, but yeah, Clarence she was Thomas doing what she had. Clarence Thomas don't give a Rest ass. He don't so, care. Um, and then with you know, University of North Carolina, the decision was six three, which means all three liberal judges wanted to keep the um affirmative action, but you know, majority rules so I always wanted to I don't understand why people like in this instance you got an Asian person who is obviously a minority. Why would he struck down something, strike down something that's obviously aiding to him? Well he said he didn't see himself as my not minority. So he didn't think it was fair for them to have race conscious admission. So again, we got another man who got identity issues because regardless of how he see himself, anybody with twenty twenty vision or who can read his doggone paperwork know that he is an Asian man. Well, and that, it's all about white assimilation and association. Come on, talk about it. And so if you're in spaces where, you know, your minority is getting talked about and it has be- has been beaten down you have no other choice but to assimilate now i hope i don't fear nobody when i say this but the asian community they get on my nerves sometimes because they are a very silent majority they don't really they are known historically not to participate in politics so they are and have been assimilating to whiteness for generations now and they 
it's I just don't understand it. And it's harming us more than helping us. You know, and then as black people, we cater and we give so much to the Asian community. And then if we look at like the nineteen thirties, the nineteen twenties, there were alliances between black and Asian communities to help build and uplift each other up. And then you look at the nineteen seventies with Fred Hampton over in Chicago doing the Rainbow Initiative mm-hmm. or the Black Panther Party over in California working with Hispanic and Asian Americans. So where is the loyalty gone to? You get what I'm saying? It's just that it's a different political time now. Just because the more that you can get to whiteness, we see this in our own community as black people. You know, you have, I, I'm going to, like I tell Morgan all the time when we are talking about black, um, when we're talking about politics when it comes to black people, I can I can have a debate with a black conservative Republican. That's no that's no big deal to me because I I feel like all sides should be heard. Now I don't deal with those black mega people, honey. Y'all can stay over there in the corner because you come over here. I'm gonna beat you upside the head with a pot. I don't argue with the mentally ill and okay, disillusioned. Okay, so but as a black conservative, we can have discussions about it. And like I said, I am not democratic. Or conservative at this point, I'm I'm very much so an independent, and that I can see I can take things and see both sides of things. But I, like in our community, we have some people who assimilate to white, and uh, I mean let's just take it let's just take it back to like two weeks ago when we was watching the debate. Where t- what did what did Tim Scott say? But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Tim Scott said if it ain't white, it ain't right. Well, he said that, that if you're white, oh, if you're a black, there's nothing for you. But if you're white, there's something for you. Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say what he said. He said it was not racism in America. Mis- he no. said it was not racism in America. In Here's the challenge, though. Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination being woven into the laws of our country. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided to put money, where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail, and you can now measure that in unemployment, in crime, and devastation. Also, Kamala Harris said that too. Tim Scott said last night that America is not a racist country. Do you agree with that? And what do you make of his warning against fighting discrimination with more discrimination? I believe that we need to adjust. Well, first of all, no, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its and its existence today. And I, I applaud the president for always having the ability and the courage, frankly, to speak the truth about it. So, Lord, have mercy. She said that too. And if anybody wanna you wanna argue about it, you can go look on YouTube. I, I've seen the clips multiple times. I mean, you don't threaten my listeners. I I'm just saying, I don't want them to think that I'm taking up for Tim Scott. But they are nice young people. But I just want you to know that Kamala Harris has says it has said it too. And this ain't no shock. You talking about a woman that get a blowout every two weeks? Well, listen, I'm just stating both sides here, like I said, and he said that. It wasn't racism that destroyed the black family. It was welfare programs that 
that destroyed the black community. Gummy tea, gummy tea, gummy tea. And I would say to Tim Scott, he can go to where, where, where. So you you wouldn't say the CIA, the actual U.S. government, that came in and let's 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 take it back to where they were funding a illegal war in Reagan presidency mm-hmm. fighting they they gave the nigga wagons armed gun and for the return they had to make they had to get the money in the guns some type of way to fund the illegal war so i mean anybody who watched snowfall and these are really big snowfall was not just it wasn't make-believe it actually happened and you can go research it yourself girl you can single-handedly blame the CIA and the FBI for the downfall of the black community. So, that what I would say, I would push back to Tim Scott that would say that racism have not. I would say that it's actually been the U.S. all the time if you want to go back to slavery and then hit up where civil rights and then go back to where COPE was funded for the illegal war and then crack which we're going to say crack epidemic because uh-huh. they say opioid epidemic. And I just find it so hilarious that opioids are, uh, you know, we're in an epidemic of opioids. Yeah, but we got to say them. Yeah, but, you know, crack, you know, people, you know, it, it, even, in, it, even in our own community, it was, you know, it was not seen as a big deal. It wasn't our people who actually brought the cocaine that formed into crack into our community, it was the U.S. And so when I hear a potential Republican candidate for president say that racism doesn't belong in the country, and then I hear a Democratic vice president say that the U.S. is not racist, I want to know why do y'all say that of people of color? I want to know who raised them. Because there are so <laughs> many different things that that has harmed black people in this country because of racism. I, I just want to know that. And so then you also have somebody named Larry Elder. Now he because even... you can also talk about how Tim Scott, Scott really reneged when he made that comment because two weeks prior before that debate, they were trying to figure out who his wife was and well, what he did he say. he doesn't have a wife. He's single. Yes, he has he's a girlfriend. single. Oh, yeah, allegedly. A now, girlfriend. I, I don't. I don't, you know, I'm not harping on his personal life as, you know, you know, every president has to be married or anything like that. That I'm not looking for that to be running a country just voting for you because you have a girlfriend or wife. I'm looking at the policies. I'm looking at things you have voted on in Congress. Uh Uh-uh. Y'all have got to be kidding me. Not Mr. America is not a racist country. Not Mr. Tim Scott, who stands on America not being a racist country. Tim Scott says, people point out that he's single because they can't say I'm black. Nope, 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 Tim Scott. You do not get to cry racism now that you're feeling the heat. You're in the hot seat. They got some questions. They want to know why you aren't married and why you have been single for all of these years. 
That's what they want to know. And I believe it has nothing to do with the fact that you're black. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina has a theory about why people are drawing attention to the fact that he's never been married. Quote, it's like a different form of discrimination or bias. You can't say I'm black because that would be terrible. So find something else that you can attack. No, Tim Scott, they want to know why you've never been married. They, if you say you got a girlfriend, bring back, bring forth the girlfriend. They want to know. And they want to know because they hear the rumors of you possibly being a gay man. Now, for those of us on the left, we could care less if you're married or if you're gay. All we want to know is if you have the experience and the intelligence to run this country. Do you have the education to run this country? That's all we care about. It's the people that you support, the party that you are a part of that want to know why you aren't married. And it has nothing to do with the fact that you're black. And it has everything to do with their homophobia and their hatred for the members of the LGBTQIA community. Cut it out, Tim Scott. You don't get to call the race card because you said America is not a racist country. He, like, I don't even understand why anybody that is a person of color in the Republican Party is even running for president. I, listen, I get it. You know, you want to representation. representation. But at the end of the day, you know these racist white people are not going to vote for you. You even have liberal people that say they are for affirmative action and things like that. But, I mean, I, I've seen some liberal white people who are racist. Yeah, and there is. It might just be that they're not extremely... So I'm not going to say there's, like, only Republicans can be racist because they're white. I've seen racist liberals. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, where in your mind did you think that they're they're even going to vote for you? They go for... In, in, this, in the Republican Party today, I'm not going to say that they won't ever vote for a but black we talking about right now currently but for right now currently and that goes for the big bomb swan oh don't even get they me go, started on somebody who only started voting when he was 30 and his daddy ain't never voted and, and his he's been a, and he's been a tech person and he has no civil duties and you you you're running on a slogan saying like i'm not a politician da 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 i'm an outsider but you can't even, he wants people to say, well, if you have never voted, then you should go into the military to learn what civic duty is. And he also wants to raise the voting age to 21. Yeah, that's just because he knows that young people are voting as soon as they- Astronomically higher. Yeah, so, but it's not down here. I just want to bring that up. Um, Mrs. The state of Louisiana just had their early poll numbers come in. Let me give you the black voter turnout for the first day of early voting in Louisiana for our governor's race. Of 900,000 black people in our state, 21,000 went to vote on the first day of early voting, less than 100,000. 7,000 black men, 14,000 
black women went to vote. Age breakdown, 18 to 20, 90 black people ages 18 to 20 went to vote. 1,011 uh, between the ages of 21 and 34, ages of 35 and 44, my age group, 1,213 people went to vote. 45 to 54, 1,968. 55 to 64, 3,473. And 65 and up, 13,940. Black people showed up to vote. The majority of the people who showed up to vote were over the age of 65. And you wonder why your politicians are old. Put this on TikTok, okay? Young black people in the state of Louisiana, ages of 18 to 20, only 90 of them went to vote. We make up 34% of the state. We're the second blackest state in America. If you want to be like Georgia, you got to vote like Georgia, Louisiana. If you want to end up with uh, a metropolis like Atlanta, you got to show up and give your voice to the things that matter. Are you just going to sit home and let Jeff Landry take over? Let me show you Jeff. Jeff Landry, that name right there, uh, as the attorney general in his official capacity on September the 28th in the year of our Lord, okay, 2023, filed a motion that was granted by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals here in Louisiana to stop a hearing that was going to happen on October the 3rd to give a majority minority district consideration by a judge here because the Supreme Court said that Louisiana is a state that is 34% black. We have six black mem six members of Congress. Two of them should be black. Currently, only one of them is black. So the courts are making them do it. And Jeff Landry is right now today suing to stop black people from getting that representation as attorney general. What the hell you think he's going to do as governor? What do you think a man who as attorney general is trying to stop you from getting more representation in D.C. is going to do when he becomes the governor? Do your part today. OK, because Southern and Gramlin put their homecomings on Election Day. October the 14th is Election Day. Early voting is going on right now. And the black leadership at Southern and Gramlin let homecoming be on Election Day, October the 14th. So you already know that everybody going to have their pots out and boiling and cooking and barbecuing at the football game and at the parade instead of going vote because we put it there because we did that. Ain't nobody make us do that now. OK, and we got. Young black people ages 18 to 20, only 90 of them went to vote on the first day of early voting. You have from now until Saturday to go early vote. Let me say this as an advocate. People are always DMing me, calling me and saying, Gary, we need you to do this. Gary, we need you to do that. We need you to show up. We need you to speak up. Do your part. This is your part today. I'm doing my part every day, taking risks that my family uh, has to deal with, sacrifices that we deal with. It ain't going to sacrifice you nothing but five minutes to go down there and go vote. Do your part. That makes our job easier so we don't have to fight against radical, crazy people like him. This is an urgent message. Black people in Louisiana, please share. And only 90 people, young people our age, went to the polls and um. 15,000 baby boomers went to the polls. So, black people, if you are up under my voice, make sure you get up and vote this season. Well, I, I, you know, I learned something this week because I, I, th I thought you was going to bring this topic up about, what's her name? The girl with the red hair. Who came Michelle? No, the sexy red girl. Oh! About the, the, the stint she had on Trump. Here's the clip. You're going to support Trump now and in the hood like or Trump. no? Yeah, they support him in the hood. Because at first, I don't think uh, people was fucking with him. Like, they thought he was racist. 
saying little shit and you know against women. But once he started getting black people out of jail and giving people their free money, oh baby, we love Trump. We need him back in office. Yeah, that a little bit of free money goes a long way. We huh? need him back because yeah. baby, them <laughs> we, checks. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes, them stimulus checks, Trump. We miss you. That's like whoa, Vicky. She's always talking about Trump. You see her ever? I like Trump. No, I ain't never seen whoa. She's funny. She's I love Trump though. He's funny to me. Like I used to watch his interview, not interviews, like him talking to people. Listen, when the internet was dragging Sexy Red because of her style of dress and because of the lyrics in her raps, I ain't got nothing to do with that. I don't I don't police people's bodies and I don't police rappers lyrics. If there is a audience for her rap music, get your money, sis. If she's OK with how she chooses to dress more power to you but now she stepped into the world of politics she stepped into my wheelhouse and she stepped in full of ignorance i'm gonna say two things two things donald trump wasn't passing out checks congress made it so people can get the small amount of money that we did get during the pandemic and yet he gave even more 10 times more 20 times more to rich white corporations but in either case he couldn't have done either without the approval of congress the second thing i want to say is that donald trump wasn't just letting people black people out of prison no the black people that you know of that were let out of prison, they were entertainers and they paid Donald Trump millions to get that pardon and get released from prison. The second thing I want to say is that Donald Trump wasn't just letting black people out of prison. No, 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 no. The black people that you saw that Donald Trump pardoned, they paid for those pardons. Little Wayne. Kodak Black, Travis Scott, they didn't do it for free. The one black woman that he pardoned, he pardoned at the request of Kim Kardashian. And he only did that for the photo op and for the ability to say, see what I've done for you black people? I've let this one black woman out of prison. Mind you, mind you. There had been black activists for years working to get that woman out of prison. All Kim Kardashian did was come sashaying in. And because of her connection to Kanye West, she was able to get the attention of Donald Trump to get that one woman out of prison. It wasn't out of the kindness of his heart. It wasn't out of his knowledge of how unjust the criminal justice system is towards black people mm -mm. it wasn't because of any of that so sexy red yeah my suggestion to you is to get educated so you won't be out here looking like a plum fool when you're trying to talk politics okay so i've, I've learned a new there's a new thing called your political privilege Okay. And so being political privilege is you actually are, you're going and researching things. 
you're you're watching the news, you know, you're not getting your 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 news off of social media sites and not double checking. Um, so I was gonna say not so nice things, but I had to learn that everybody is not is intelligent. No, not intelligent, because people are smart. There's just different things that they find important to be smart about. Because, well, you starting to see this rise of it, too, because it's not just sexy red. You also got woke well, Vicky. She Trump 2024. Free Trump. Baby. Free my Aquedon. Latinos in the house. He was giving out 1500 a week. <laughs> Thank you to my I was in Linux every week. Free the kids. Free the kids. Not body trying to make transgender kids. Free the kids. We need Trump back. I know that's right, baby. Bring and, them back. Bring them back. And Trump love Jesus. Let's do it. Period. He's been on the internet talking about vote for Trump. But isn't she white? She is white, but okay, she cosplaying so. as a black woman. But and then on top of that, lately I've been seeing videos of her with an entourage, and they all black people. And then I saw another video with her with a whole car full of Hispanics. Well, see, that can be a whole another topic. How y'all let these white people use y'all? It sure do, uh, and it's gonna, embarrassing. We're not gonna get into this. No, because we're not saviors. Yes, it is embarrassing. Don't let these. Don't let these white people use you for your money. You a token gets spent regardless. Yes. And then you stand out with your hands out and you get the looking stupid when they're talking about things that are to your demise. My God. As a black person. My God. Tell them me. So you need to make sure that the white allies that you um call your allies are truly allies yes, and that they're doing something and then we talk about this in our deal we probably did girl i'll be talking about this mess all the we, time we, we talked about this doing the when we had the march on the the amphitheater me the one that's that been had. 2020 that's yeah. been three years ago guess what people make time for things they want to make time my for. god so you have to make time for being knowing politics i i i'm not saying People should just be like me and be a political junkie. But you need to make sure you you are knowing who are okay with the next upcoming election. Who's running? What are their policies? What did they What did they vote on in U.S. government or your local government? You can't just. So when I was when I started with her, she said, "Well, yeah, the hood missed with him because he gave us money." Let Let's debunk that right now. Come on, Trump. Did not give us give no money. Any money, he may have put the his name on the chicks, but he did not. Congress, which <laughs> is the House mm -hmm. of Representatives, tell them, and the Senate, they the actual House of Representatives, they come up with spending. If you see what was going on last week uh -huh. about spending, the whole speakership, you know, Kevin McCarthy getting booted out is because they come up with a budget that they spend on governmental programs so if you on um food stamps if you're on WIC, if you have social security if you have medicare medicaid all those government programs are actually is has a budget and they booted him because he didn't want the government to shut down mm -hmm. their leader of their party said 45 said shut it down yes he did and what they do they wanted to shut it down but Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy had a change he of heart. He brokered a deal with the Democrats to not shut the the house down, the government, the down. government down. Which returns, you know, you have federal workers as well. 
you have military people who are under federal contracts, they wouldn't have gotten paid. Yeah, they would have got back paid. But I think it's also important to understand that not everybody would have got back paid if the government does shut down. Like people who work in government facilities as cafeteria workers, sanitation crew, if the government shut down, they will not get a, back paid. If you, ha- if, you, if you have somebody that works on a military base, that's federal. Yes, they will not get back paid whatsoever. And, like, I don't think people realize that because even if the government shut down, those Congress people still get paid. Yes. You actually had a congressman. We we talked about this when I texted to you yes. saying that, oh, well, you know, you know, I would vote for the, I'm, I'm going to vote for the shutdown. But, it, you know, I'm going to still get paid regardless. Mm-hmm. How insensitive is that when you have millions of people, regardless of their race, gender, or anything, won't be getting paid? But you're on TV saying that, you know, I'm going to shut the government down and I'm going to still get my money. And that just brings us back full circle because you still affecting the people who are protecting, serving and protecting the country. Those military people will not be getting paid for their work. And that is not fair whatsoever. Hey, y'all, what's up? It's Friday, so I'm going to keep it black. But I'm going to keep it brief. Y'all know the government almost shut down last week? And we're not out of the woods yet. The f- is a government shutdown. Number one, a government shutdown happens when the legislative branch neglects to pass specific bills that fund or authorize the operations of the executive branch. So if Congress doesn't approve the funding for the federal government by the time the new fiscal year starts on October 1st every year, we could be in danger. What this means for the government is that certain operations will literally cease because ain't nobody getting paid and ain't nothing getting paid for. What that means for you is that yes, social security and disability checks will still be paid out, but quite a few things in everyday life will be impacted. But before we get into any of that, let's talk about how the f- we got here in the first place and why there's actually a little threat of government shutdown almost every year. The short answer, the blues and the reds can't get along. The Republicans and the Democrats, not the bloods and the cribs. Moving along. So there are two different types of federal spending. Mandatory programs like Social Security, Medicare, and unemployment, and discretionary programs like National Defense, Public Health Research, National Parks, International Assistance, and Infrastructure. Discretionary means you can fund if you want to, which is crazy to me, but here comes the partisan struggle. In most years since 2010, the two sides of Congress have not been able to come together on agreed upon budget. They have to figure out high-level taxes and spending targets and create bills to figure out exactly how much money goes into what areas. And when they can't agree, walk with me now, the president steps in and Congress enacts what is called a continuing resolution or CR for the discretionary programs, which means they will continue to operate at the last year's budget until they can figure everything out. But the one President Biden just signed only lasts 45 days. Ooh, child, I'm tired. Figure it out. These people need to get on their Zoom. And it's not even legitimate concerns about the money. They're in there on their house floor squabbling about government spending when eggs is damn near $10 and everybody under the age of 35 needs a roommate to survive out here. Each time the government shuts down, 350,000 government employees are furloughed without pay. The Environmental Protection Agency, the Departments of Agriculture, Commerce, Justice, Homeland Security, Interior, State, Treasury, and Housing and Urban Development will slow down. Over 400,000 government employees are forced to work without pay. That's legal? And this game roulette hits home, especially in our communities because you know black folk love them a government job. Benefits, health care, stability. Government jobs specifically at the USPS have been responsible for catapulting black people into the middle class since the 1800s. The USPS was one of the first government sectors to offer employment to newly free people after slavery, which explains why every time your grandmama and them heard about somebody down their luck, they told you to go on down to the post office and get you a job. And even though black people only make up 13% of the country's population, we make up 20% of all government employees. God, Lee, always somewhere being adversely 
affected. But it makes sense that this many black people would flock to the public sector because it has definitely come a long way in closing the economic gap between white and black workers. In California, 72% of black government employees join a retirement plan versus the 44% in the private sector. But government essential workers would not be the only people affected. Transportation security officers, Coast Guard members, Bureau of Prisons employees, Veterans Affairs employees. That's my mama. And Border Patrol officers are all at risk. The Smithsonian's and national parks you go to are closed. Immigration courts closed. Airport delays increased. Construction on the roads and infrastructure halted. Food inspections stalled. Gross. Your kids not going to Head Start. Funding for EBT and SNAP. Provisions related to the pandemic and even AIDS relief. Snip, snip, ho. And while all these essentials are in limbo, while people are being forced to keep the government running without pay, the congressmen and women who put us in this predicament will still be making money while actively slacking on a job. This, my friends, is why you got to know exactly who you're voting for, who's going to have your back in that room, and who's going to waste your time. So we need to be getting on Ballotpedia, BallotReady.com, MyVoterPage.com, and see what these midterm elections is talking about. Amelia, I wanted to ask you, who truly are the beneficiaries of affirmative action? <laughs> you know the you know the answer, but I, I know everybody don't know the answer. Y'all know that it's a women, but it's white women. It's white women, really. Oh. So now why am I And you could have did now, it. See, so, I, I did it. Girl, you never it's the white women who were the daughters of uh, the Confederate Revolution. Yes. And um, the daughters and the mothers of the Republican See, Yeah. So white women actually benefit from affirmative action more than any other minority group. Ain't it okay? And then we seeing this common theme again of white women going against and voting against things that help them in the long run. Like abortion or ebt food stamps because they are the number one recipients of food stamps yeah i think you know we, we've talked about this me and you personally that they aren't they only are voting against this because it's helping other minority groups um so when you have somebody who are saying oh like with the abortion thing like I mean, they overtold, they overturned abortion, but they wanted black women to also come out on the march and, you know. Get out there. I, I'm like, I, I was proud as black women said, no, we're going to let y'all do that because there are so many things that we, we have tried to come together on with white women and to help us. And we got our hands slapped. Mm -hmm. I love this generation of black women because they standing up. So... I think, you know, you know, you're going to have some people crying in the car that, you know, they can't, you know, can't do things how they used to do them before affirmative action, Roe versus Wade. Well, you also got to take in consideration, too, that those white women, especially if they are uh, middle class and up, if somebody, if something happens to their family, they'll still be able to find access to this stuff because they got the money to be able to take care well, of it. Well, not only the money, they have the complexion for the protection as well. Oh, come on, Amelia, girl. So, you know, if I'm a, you know, shoot, I, I they need to make another white chick. So, how, where can I, how can I, can I cosplay to be? White. Oh, can I do that? They can gonna I call you racist. White? Oh, you know, well, you know. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, I was at work on Monday, you know, doing a survey. Yeah. On a healthcare survey. And um got that portion about, you know, how you were your healthcare services here in Mississippi. And the the white woman said I was discriminating, asking that question. There's 
Um, I work for the Research Center. Yes, the Big Thad Cochran. Yes, here on campus. Conducting surveys and such and asking questions. And making statements. Uh, asking all questions. Asking all questions. Why are you asking all questions? Making statements. Uh, uh. The question was, in the past 12 months in general, have you, you felt, felt discriminated, discriminated against? against? Or, well, not in even really. In healthcare. And I said, do you feel like that you were treated worse than the same as or better than other people of other races? Uh-huh. She said the same as, but she also said that I was discriminating against her b- b- while asking that question. And I told her, well, ma'am, this is my job. I'm working on behalf of Mississippi State and U- University and Mississippi Department of Health. So... I did not write these questions. I'm just trying to finish the survey. I mean, he said, don't shoot the shooter. Don't shoot the messenger. So I already felt a little... Discriminated. That was rude. She was. She had already had a little microaggressiveness mm-hmm. to her voice anyway. But I try not to take it that route. And I even put a disclaimer on... Like, you've heard me before put disclaimers on questions that I know that people are going to have a strong opinion about. I'll tell you the truth. I really dislike asking those questions because where we live at in the South. Yeah, it get rude. It get rude. It get nasty. They're very rude and nasty. And I used to tell. I used to tell them that. I used to be like, you know, like, because I remember one time I called this man and I asked him if he was planning on voting. That nigga asked me if I knew what what Dixie was. I said, yeah, I know what Dixie is. (laughs) I yeah, you know, I'm like when Dixie the dog. No, no, bitch, he talking about uh the damn the hate group, the Dixie Crats. So, uh, I I find it the the whole reverse racism is very funny to me. It's corny, you know. You it's have corny. yeah, you even have people of color. You know, Vivek Rome Swami. Yes, he has he has taken that, and you have Nikki Haley, which is another person of color who's running for a Republican president. She white presenting as fuck. Nikki Haley is what? Hispanic? No, she's Indian. You lying. No, I'm not lying. She's Girl, Indian. that's a white woman. So affirmative action was originally meant to address racial disparities only. It did not include gender. But in the late 1960s, the government correctly recognized that women had faced a great deal of disparity and obstacles and should be included in affirmative action. So keeping in mind that the only demographic that was not previously included in affirmative action that became included with that change is white women. And affirmative action was so effective for white women that by 1980, white women were no longer underrepresented in higher education. And by 1995, there were 6 million women, the vast majority of whom were white, who held jobs that they would not have held were it not for affirmative action. And this is all great. These are wonderful outcomes, and it shows how affirmative action should work for its intended beneficiaries. However, black students are still underrepresented in higher education and black men and women are still underrepresented in the workforce. And although there is still a gender pay gap, white women's average weekly earnings is more than that of black men or black women. And white men continue to benefit from affirmative action, particularly in the federal job sector. However, Despite the fact that white women have been the greatest beneficiaries of affirmative action, 70% of them oppose affirmative action. So there also goes the idea that white women do not vote against their interests. 
So what do you expect to happen in America post Roe versus Wade and post affirmative action? I, I expect there to be a rude awakening. Um, we're coming up on an election in November 2024 that nobody wants. Nobody wants either candidate. Um, so it's going to be very... At, you know me. what? Even closer coming up, that um the votes for vote for the speaker of the house and the speakers that are being proposed, nobody yeah. wants them either. I think it's so divisive right now because you have one party who has they're like burn the whole thing down. If it's not our way, everybody then, can die. Yeah, and then you have another party is they have a big tent. But they suck at messaging. They do. They do not keep their word on things. You have a president that said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Mm -hmm. You have a president. And he old. He geriatric. You have a president who signed the 1994 crack bill. Uh Uh-huh. With mandatory sentences. Okay, if y'all don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Joe Biden. Y'all beloved president. Like I said, I'm an independent at this point. I can tell you going to stop being mean to my listeners. I'm I'm not being mean. I'm just you know, I'm staying up at. Um, so nobody wants the the election that's coming up. Uh, for me, it's very hard right now. I, it might get a little as you know it comes up. I've already you know I'll decide. But at this point, you have to show me. I you have to show me. I don't want any more lip service. I don't want you pandering to the black caucus. Cause that's a whole nother thing. We can get on a black caucus too. Because have they actually done Mm-mm. what they supposed to? No, done? you can throw that NAACP up in there too. I, it's very hard as a black person to say that we are represented in Congress, especially when you have the black caucus, and they're not. You know, I I don't. I don't hear anybody coming out in front of the camera. There are some like heavy hitters though. Like I will say this. I feel like the black women in Congress, they do spend, they stand up. They spend, they stand up. Especially like who is that younger black woman? Um, She was talking. She got real, real during um, Biden's impeachment trial. You know, oh, you talking about Jasmine Crockett? Yes, she's from Dallas, Texas. Yes, Baby, I love me some. Some. I think she Jasmine. is. When I tell you, Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett went off in the House today because the Republicans want charges to be brought against President Biden for his son's mistakes. Well, she's like, let's talk about the facts of the United States has committed. But when we start talking about things that look like evidence, they want to act like they blind. They don't know what this is. These are our national secrets. Looks like in the shitter to me. This looks like more evidence of our national secrets, say on a stage at Mar-a-Lago. When we're talking about somebody that's committed high crimes, it's at least indictments. Let's say 32 counts related to unauthorized retention of national security secrets, seven counts related to obstructing the investigation, three false statements, one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, falsifying business records, conspiracy to defraud the United States, 
two counts related to efforts to obstruct the vote certification proceedings, one count of conspiracy to violate civil rights, 23 counts related to forgery or false document statements, eight counts related to soliciting, and I could go on because he's got 91 counts pending right now, but I will tell you what the president has been guilty of. He has unfortunately been guilty of loving his child unconditionally, and that is the only evidence that they have brought forward. And honestly, I hope and pray that my parents love me half as much as he loves his child. Until they find some evidence, we need to get back to the people's work, which means keeping this government open so that people don't go hungry in the streets of the United States. And I will yield. And Summer Lee as well. The yes. other, other dark-skinned lady that was, you know, I sent you, she was like, what is this impeachment going to call? Three hours and 45 or so minutes into this, uh, the Republicans' own witnesses have confirmed that they have seen no evidence of any evidence. Um, I think that it's, if my Republican colleagues had a so-called smoking gun, they would have presented it by now and would have talked about it non the Can the gentlelady read a bank statement, an email, a text message? Are you asking her to reclaiming yield, my Chairman? time. Thank you. All reclaiming right. my time. Instead, we're sitting here with no fact witnesses and and no evidence in this sham so-called impeachment to distract from their inability to fulfill their basic duty to fund and run our government. Republicans know the American people don't want their shutdown. So instead, the Republicans on this committee are attempting to divert and distract the American people's attention by spending taxpayer dollars on this sham impeachment hearing two days before they shut the government down in hopes that the media, and I don't just mean Fox News, will fall for their scheme and give more airtime to the lies being told on this committee today than the real life impact their shutdown will have on even their own constituents' lives. In fact, in Chairman Comer's district, Republicans' shutdown will cost 8,937 of his constituents their paychecks. In Jim Jordan's district, Republicans' shutdown will cost 3,939 of his constituents their paychecks. In Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, Republican shutdown will cost 6,306 of her constituents their paychecks. In Lauren Bobart's district, Republican shutdown. Democrats will cost are the party of shutdowns. You guys love Thank shutdowns. You very much. Oh. In uh, Lauren Bobart's district, Republican shutdown will cost 9,016 of her constituents their paychecks. When you add it all up, Republicans shutdown will cost. 217,583 of their constituents on this committee's paychecks, their income for who knows how long. Let that sink in for a second. Those are our mothers, our fathers, caretakers, brothers, sisters, moms, dad, grandmas, grandpas, friends, neighbors, beloved community members, veterans who won't know how their food or medicine will be paid for or where their rent money is coming from. Many of them vote Republican, but I'd bet you not one of them cares more about Hunter Biden's laptop or helping Kevin McCarthy keep his gig as leader or speaker of his dysfunctional caucus than they care about receiving their paycheck and making their ends meet. And so the Republicans on this committee are betting that we'll spend this hearing engaging in partisan bickering over their favorite buzzwords rather than talking about how the MAGA shutdown will crush all of our constituents. I care about the 7 million babies, children, mothers across this country who after Sunday will lose access to food and formula, over 10,000 in my district alone. 
I care about 300,000 families of 20,000 veterans who after Sunday could face eviction from their homes. Rare diseases uh, and cancer patients whose experimental trials will be delayed for months. And I care about our seniors unable to get help with Social Security and Medicare. And make no mistake, their attacks are targeted, both in who's behind them and who are going to be hurt most. The most marginalized folks bear the brunt of these MAGA Republicans' attacks. Black folks, brown folks, trans folks, poor folks, disabled folks. Keeping that struggle in mind, we've had two hearings on the infant formula shortage on the subcommittee chair, chaired by Congresswoman McClain. Yet, with the 320,000 babies, women, and children in her home state of Michigan about to go hungry due to her party's shutdown, it seems like my Republican colleagues only care about an issue when they can point the finger in another direction. Much like what's going on in this embarrassment of a hearing today. Three hours and four. That's what I'm saying. Like, like you got you spending uh, money on something, you know. You got old Maxine Waters. She gonna get on your neck when she get on that microphone too. You had indicated that you would like to have a press conference uh, in this room following. No, I, I'm, I'm gonna cancel that. I don't have time for that, so I'm. Uh, not well, doing that's what I was gonna ask you if you would, uh, instead of having the press conference uh, continue uh, with those members who have been waiting here for so long, uh, and I think. What I thought I originally heard was 5.30 rather than 5.15. So is it possible you could give us another 15 minutes to get to no, these I, I have a foreign leader waiting in my office at 5.30, okay? I agreed to stay longer. It, it will be embarrassing if I keep this person waiting for a long period of time. I wasn't going to have a press conference. I was going to have a short press gaggle. I'm not going to do that. And I've assured you I'm happy to come back here and answer more of your questions. I respect the committee, and we want to have a good working relationship with you. So, so I, I, I hope you'll understand I'm already going to be late to um, my 530 minutes. I do understand. We're late all the time, unfortunately. We're all pressed for time, and I do get it. Uh, however, uh, I think I indicated early on uh, that we would request or require uh, that you come back at least two more times in the month of May. Is that something you're agreeing to? No, ma Madam Chair, I find this to be, you know, I, I have here every single time Jack Lew and other people came here. There's never been anybody that's been here more than three hours and 15 minutes. I've sat here for over three hours and 15 minutes. I've told you I'll come back. I, I just don't believe we're sitting here negotiating when I come back. We'll follow up with your office. How long would you like me to come back for next time? I've told you I'll accommodate you. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your uh, reminding us of the length of time other uh, secretaries have been here. This is a new way, and it's a new day, okay, well, and it's a new chair, okay, and well, I have the gavel at this point. If you wish to leave, you may. Uh, can you clarify that for me? Yes, clarify is so, this. So if I'm you wish to leave, you may. Okay, so we're, you're, we're dismissed, is that correct? If you wish to leave, you may leave. I don't understand what you're saying. You're wasting you your time. Don't rem remember you have a, a foreign dignitary in your office. I, I would just say that the previous administration, when the Republicans, they did not treat the Secretary of the Treasury this way. So if this is the way you want to treat me, then I'll rethink whether I voluntarily come back here to testify, which I've offered to do. Um, Mr. Secretary, I want you to know that no other secretary has ever told us the day before that they were going to limit their time in the way that you're doing. So if you want to use them as examples, you have acted differently 
and they have acted, and as, have I, as I have said, if you wish to leave, you may. If you'd wish to keep me here so that I don't have my important meeting and continue to grill me, then we can do that. I will cancel my meeting, and I will not be back here. I will be very clear. That's the way you'd like to have this relationship. Thank you. The gentleman, the secretary, has agreed to stay to hear all of the rest of the members. Okay, Please so just cancel your meeting and respect our time. I, I am Who is next on the list? My foreign meeting. You're, you're instructing me to stay here, and I should cancel. No, my you just member. made me an offer. No, I didn't make you an you offer. You made me an offer that I accepted. I, I did not make well, you an offer. Just let's be clear. Well, you're you, instructing me. You are ordering me to stay here. No, you I'm not either. ordering you. I'm responding. Okay. I said you may leave anytime you want. And you said, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'll cancel my appointment and I'll stay here. So I'm responding to your request. If that's what you that's want to do. That's not what I want to do. I told you. What would you like to do? What I've told you is I thought it was respectful that you'd let me leave at 515. You are free to leave anytime you want. You okay, may go well then, uh, anytime please. you want. Please dismiss everybody. I believe you're supposed to take the gravel and, and bang it. That's Please do not instruct me as to how I'm to conduct this committee. So I, I just feel like there like there's a black caucus, but what 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 are they what are they doing? Well, they stick together. I, I, I really want you to tell me. Uh-huh. Because I know we've had this divide. Like you're like, well, I'm Gen Z. And da, da 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 and I'm like, okay, I'm millennial, but we do we come together on a lot of stuff, but I don't I don't see the black caucus. I mean, I can don't, we think about, I mean, honestly, the biggest stars right now are minority people. AOC is a minority person, but they not even the squad. Don't even give me that. They have not been the squad since Biden. Uh, since the first year Biden has, when the first year like, he got into the uh, office, they had demands. They had progressive things. They have fallen in line, uh -huh. which. It's amazing that they have fallen in line. Cause yes, they're sticking together. Yes, Especially also, under. You got to give credit you what credit do, though. You have to push the line. Politics until something happens. Which, which Matt Gaetz did that, and he got Kevin McCarthy out. And he finna lose his own job. And then he got a sex scandal, too. But so, I'm just saying, you have if you want something done, if you... That's why Dr. Cornell West is running. He know he's not gonna win that race. Girl. He's not he's not in it to be a president. He's, he's in there to be divisive. I don't think he's divisive because I've watched Dr. Cornell West on CNN it on from twenty. That man won't even pay his own child support a million. Well, Girl, how you, we expect him to pay the nation debts he don't even pay I child think support. That's the DNC playing dirty because He's he's been out here talking about the same stuff for years. I've watched him on CNN for years, and none of that came up until he started running for president. I mean, it didn't none of the stuff about Matt Gates come out until it like was recently. Out. It was already out. Were they taking it more seriously now? In these bleak times, I have decided to run for truth and justice, which takes the form of running for president of the United States as a candidate for the People's Party. I enter in the quest for truth. I enter in the quest for justice. And the presidency is just one vehicle to pursue that truth and justice, what I've been trying to do all of my life. I come from a tradition where I care about you. I care about the quality of your life. I care about whether you have access to a job with a living wage, decent 
housing, women having control over their bodies, health care for all, the escalating, the destruction of the planet, the destruction of American democracy. Democracy creates disruption. It creates an eruption. It creates an interruption wide from below. The energies of everyday people is manifest. And I know there are precious people in your life who you care for. That's why it's important for you to be involved, important for you to participate. We're not talking about hating anybody. We're talking about loving. We're talking about affirming. We're talking about empowering those who have been pushed to the margins because neither political party wants to tell the truth about Wall Street, about Ukraine, about the Pentagon, about big tech. Neo-fascists like Brother Trump or milquetoast neoliberals like Brother Biden. Wow, I'm so happy to make a world-shaking decision. You know what I mean? Well, I know gangsters when I see them. <laughs> and gangsters not a subjective expression. It's an objective condition. Do we have what it takes? We shall see. But some of us are going to go down fighting, go down swinging with style and a smile, accenting the best in you and trying to tease out the best in me. Let's do it together. So when we're talking about what to expect with this post Roe versus Wade, post affirmative action world we're living in, I think it's like so smart to expect trigger laws. Like we're seeing trigger laws popping up all over. So let me, um, I just want to run down um, the states that have created trigger laws. For those who don't know, trigger laws are laws that are designed to be unenforceable but may become enforceable if something of a certain condition is met okay so in this case with abortion trigger laws are laws that would ban or severely restrict abortions if the supreme or after the supreme court overturned roe versus wade so the laws are already in places in more than a dozen states and this includes arkansas idaho kentucky louisiana mississippi missouri north dakota oklahoma south dakota tennessee texas utah and wyoming and this is where the conservatives live in america these are all of the red states and it's just kind of concerning because now they really starting to put cases on folks when it comes behind abortions too can i can i but can i tell you something mississippi had already had a trigger law before they even yes the case to the supreme a lot of these states did yes so you know when we when we talk about our bad history (laughs) our ugly history as mississippi like i you know that's one of the things we've we've been known for just ugly stuff but that right there we've they've they had already had a trigger law and then for you know now um tennessee did you know that uh tennessee the ag no is it yeah it's tennessee and alabama he wants he they were trying to get 
people healthcare records. So even if you try to cross into another state, they want to be notified. Mm-hmm. I heard about that. I also know that they want to do pregnancy tests once you cross into certain tests, um, states and leave certain states too. But that's like up north near like North Dakota, South Dakota. They- so, um, it's, it's the hand mail t- tells all over again. You said I- the parable of the sour. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we talking it, about black art now, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, it's gonna be you know for the people who you know you you heard that song Brenda had a baby. Well, it's gonna be Brenda had a baby and she flushed it down the toilet. Oh, didn't we just see that a couple months well, ago? I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be graphic or anything, but you know, I don't think that you should um dictate what a person um should do with their body that's my stance and i and i sometimes i lean moderate and sometimes i you know i'm I'm all over the place on on certain issues but I, i just feel like as a black woman as a woman period there's a lot that goes on with us in our bodies my body my choice so so what so i you know if you're not a woman and you have not lived in a woman's body, I don't think you should be telling a woman what she cannot do. Because next, uh, Clarence Thomas already said he wanted to go after um, contraception. He finna go, they finna go after marriage. They finna go after contraception. And I think, and IVF too. Like, they want a hand in all this stuff. And I think things, you know, re- the Republican Party used to be law in order and small government yes the that part used of small be, government that used to be small government and now, now they be government baby they want to involve everybody run the sentence where he's gotten rid of prosecutors because they wouldn't prosecute people who've gotten abortion. I just want to see Ron DeSantis fail in a very public way. Well, he's already down in the polls for 2024 for the Republican presidency. So he's probably going to fade the black in a minute. That's beautiful. Let's hope for that. And let's hope for the death of um, Mitch McConnell. Well, I'm not wishing death, honey. Well, the rest of us were praying for his demise. I don't want to do that, honey. Because I don't want God to come back and strike me down. I don't mind waiting. I don't mind waiting. I don't mind waiting on the Lord. He gonna fall. He gonna fall in the mighty yeah, we name gonna, of Jesus. We gonna let the Lord work it he out. He gonna work it out now. It is only so much time left in the world for him in his life. So one red state has managed to run off all of the OBGYNs. Their labor and delivery departments have already closed. Now they've just officially ran everyone off. So this one is titled, No OBGYNs Left in Town, What Came After Idaho's Assault on Reproductive Rights for Women. So yes, all of the, they won. They got, um, they got women's rights, reproductive rights squashed. Good for them. This is what they won. This is what they won. So this is a, kind of a long article. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but um, I'm going to talk about Laura Sanders. She is a pregnant woman, and she's about to give birth to her second child at home with the assistance of a midwife. She says her pregnancy so far has been um, healthy, and she wants to have a home birth. But if anything goes wrong, a last-minute emergency, a scare, an unpredicted turn, and she needs hospital maternity care, she'll be put into an ambulance and driven over two-way um, two-lane highway to a larger city, 
half an hour away. She's a bit worried, but she's also angry that the options of pregnant women who live in Idaho were snatched away by politicians who appear willing to risk lives like hers in the haphazard quest to squash choice. Across Idaho, doctors are leaving, looking for states where politics doesn't dictate how they practice medicine. The consequences of Idaho's anti-choice laws hit Sandpoint fast and hard, hollowing out medical care for women within months. For years, the town had a maternity ward that delivered as many as 350 babies a year. Now it has nothing. Good job, Republicans. You guys have done swimming, swimmingly in squashing your own medical community. The OBGYN war shut down this spring and doctors have been fleeing the state in a steady stream, seeking shelter in places where their work doesn't put them at risk of criminal charges or big lawsuits. Basic, this is what that pregnant woman was saying. Basically, I'm lucky because I have a healthy pregnancy, but there are all these other people who are going to give birth who aren't healthy. I don't even think people think about these things um, that can happen last minute with a bit that a midwife can't handle. It's become a gamble getting pregnant and giving birth in a place that no longer has a maternity unit or any obstetricians. Sandpoint is small, fewer than 10,000 people, but it's been a medical hub for a rural region of 50,000 in northern Idaho, Montana, and Washington. Well, this is what happens when you restrict women's rights. Okay, this is what happens when a state government that's itching to ban rights, ban reproductive rights, enacts some of the most restrictive laws in the country and instares all of reproductive health and a good share of routine medical care in its dragnet. But the women of Sandpoint are clear about one thing they want others to know. This can happen anywhere in the post-Roe United States. Nowhere is as safe as you might believe and the battle won't stop at state borders. Idaho is one of several states that had trigger laws, immediate um, immediate choice restrictions um, that went into effect when Roe v. Wade uh, fell a year ago. So what happens when you squash rights in your state? Okay, this is what happens when state government that's been itching to ban abortion enacts some of the most restrictive laws in the country and enacts it ensnares all reproductive health and a good share of medical routine care in its dragnet. But some of the women in Sandpoint are clear about one thing. This can happen anywhere post-Roe United States. Nowhere is as safe as you might believe and the battle won't stop at state borders. Idaho is one of several states that had trigger laws, um, immediate reproductive restrictions that went into effect when Roe v. Wade fell last year. In August of 2022, the state enacted a near total ban on reproductive rights with the exception only if mother's life is in danger or in the cases of rape. And that required a police report to be filed. And also they put in place something that is called an, uh, an abortion trafficking ban because people can, and people can actually sue if they take a minor child across state lines to get reproductive care for a child. This this is what happens. Um, and I believe that we're going to continue to see women and girls leave these states. So all we can do is watch the consequences happen. You guys go ahead, jump in the comments, tell me what you think, like, comment, share.
How do you think the current political climate is impacting the possibility of a return to segregation? And what can be what can be done to prevent this from happening? This is an unpopular opinion. So what's your you unpopular? Come on, because I'm not going to argue with ready. you. I'm gonna let you okay. have it. I think integration was kind of a downfall. Oh, like baby, community. and now that's something we can agree you on. Know, w- Twins. You know, W.E. Du Bois. You know, I'm back on my African-American studies. That was a little minor of mine when I was, you know. Um, integration was kind of a big downfall for black communities. You got to tell the people why. Because I feel like we were, when we were segregated, we were all together. We had one come and go. Not to be integrated but just to be treated fairly yes like i would like my 40 acres in the mule me too but instead of mule can i get like a, a cow and, and a pig so I that a i can chickens okay oh yeah and some chickens too because you know they lay eggs because you know eggs is high right now well, but you got a president said by numbness is working but every time i go to the grocery store i can't afford i nothing. can't afford it i can't even get my toiletries without breaking a sweat yeah mm-hmm. so but anyway um, I do feel like segregation definitely hurt the black community in so many ways that are not. I feel like society don't want us to say that out loud, but it really did. Number one, it broke up the economics within our black community. So if we had all these great communities around the United States, like in Atlanta or in Tulsa, you could see how money was able to circulate. There were black doctors, black hospitals, black teachers. This go also when it comes to education, black students were way safer and they were more educated because there were black teachers in the room that were able to understand them and they were able to fully educate them in a way that they truly understand. And let's, let's break the, the black education thing down. Uh-huh. That can be broken down by itself when we integrated. You know, coming up, we kind of like, we two years apart. So we looking at, I probably only had about three black, maybe four, I say five black teachers in my whole life before I got to college. Mm-hmm. So in my formative years, I probably had about five or six black teachers. Um, that includes, you know, I used to do wrestling and track. So, you know, of course, my PE teachers and my track coaches, they were black. But majority of my studies came from white people. I, I had also had a French teacher, but, you know, but... I too had a white French teacher. When when you talk about education and you talking about let's not forget what what Ron DeSantis said. He said they're trying to indoctrinate the children. Yeah, that's um, what they've been doing. Yeah, they've been doing that for years because for decades. Now that decades, now that we've integrated, when we integrated, you not only have black kids giving old books uh-huh. <laughs> and learning like stale material uh-huh. but you have also have white teachers who are saying we're gonna keep these people down yes we're gonna pass them along or we're gonna put them on some type of medication yes and we're gonna do what we want to with them because ain't nobody gonna know and ain't nobody gonna tell and that's how you dumb down the population and that's why it's important to read books you have you there has been over three 
3,000 books banned since the, the beginning of the year. Yes. Yes, I saw that this morning. And, I, you know, I do have an episode on that if you want to check it out for those who ban books. And I feel like it's a tragedy to see all these black works of art being banned like that. And it's not just black works. It's LGBT articles, anything that got to do with Native Americans with uh, or anything. Girl, it's just a mess. I mean, because I grew up in the age where you had to go find encyclopedias. Yes. I'm real old. <laughs> Girl, who? I did too. You had to go, like, there was no, you know, there was no, let me go on Google and type in a word for the dictionary. You had to go sit and find the, the dictionary and, um. and look at that. I'm, I'm coming from the age of going look up a phone number on, you know, in a phone book. Mm-hmm. So we actually, we actually had to sit and they have these programs like did y'all have Star here in Mississippi? Um, not in the Starville. Yeah, the, I don't know the reading about. program. No, oh yeah, we did with the colors the and AHL stuff. Yeah, so we had it on a different wavelength, but we definitely had reader programs. And you know, your girl had um the night the nice high clothes. Oh yeah, I know. Because I'm a read bitch. Yeah. See, let us be clear now. We invented the gas mask before we could sit next to white kids. Right. We invented the stoplight before we could sit next to white kids. We invented the uh, refrigerated truck before we could sit next to white kids. The golf tee before we could sit next to white kids. We invented the machine to tie the sole of a shoe to the top of a shoe before we could sit next to white kids. Most of America's most significant inventions came out of the minds of black children who had never sat next to white kids. The reason they wanted to desegregate was to control the quality of the education because America considered the intellectual brilliance of the black child to be a national security issue. So they integrated the schools to dumb you down. And that's why 20 years after school desegregation, they popped up with the learning disability, special education. Okay. So like, you know, we could go into the libraries and read books and with the star program, I mean, there was a reward, but you were still reading books. Like, when I tell you, I kind of read all the Harry Potter books. That's kind of where I got my vocabulary from you when know I was in the black bitches grew up reading Jane, Zane. Them, so, you, them niggas, niggas was reading back in the day. I, I think integration. Twilight? Yes. I, I love Twilight. And I've I read most of all the books before I even watched the movies. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> niggas was reading all that. So, I think integration has messed us, messed us up in a way. Because, yes, we want to be diversified and get, you know, learn with it and, and we share wanna, everything with everybody. Yes, but in and, a sense, we're not for our community. No. You know, back, back in the day when they were segregated, they were they were for the community. Yes. They dollars went to the community. They if you fought had a, as a community. If you had a sickness or ailment, you had black doctors. They disciplined kids as a community. Yes. Like, it was... Yes, and we don't have that anymore, but other minority communities do. And do you notice with a like like do you notice like with towns and cities you have something that's uh was it yeah uh, Asian uh, China, town, Chinatown, Chinatown, little Jamaican town, yeah. little, little Polish town. It ain't no African American town, it's just the hood. Yeah. Well they say urban. Yes, baby. And everybody and, and then I hate the fact that they only categorize black people as suburban and urban. Because I grew up in the country. Okay, and I grew up in the Delta, so uh, most people would classify that as being the slums of the slums because we like coming to North Mississippi here. It it was a big change because I, I went to school in Jackson, but I also went back home. So 
when I came here and there's a big difference from Jackson and Starkville as as far as resources we had there were a lot of resources Resource here. and access I access. feel like Jackson has a lot of access to resources as yeah well. they have a lot of access but me coming from Greenwood LaFleur County you know in the Delta we have limited resources I mean my mama called me the other week and I've been you know looking at this our hospital in Greenwood is it's about shut to shut down well it's it's they're, they kept it open they're keeping it open for until December but nobody knows like what's gonna happen after that so the next hospital for the people who live in like the surrounding cities you know like Greenwood it'll be in the uh in the Nola, the next hospital even um like will be in Grenada and then uh, all, all a lot of these doggone hospitals are shutting down all throughout the Delta. And what's sad about it is, is that I've heard of so many people dying just waiting on the ambulance to come. So I'm praying for all the people down in the Delta because the lack of health care in Mississippi is so real. And, and it's that's like, why that survey we do is very important. That's why voting is really very important. Because, like, I'm telling you, down in the Delta, a sheriff... He had a heart attack in the grocery store and he died waiting on the ambulance to come. And it's like, you don't realize how important it is to vote until it's your grandma, until it's your uncle or it's you. That's why you need to be getting up and doing something about it now before it's too late. Yes. Look at these books that have already been banned due to Republican measures. The Life of Rosa Parks. This apparently is too woke by the Republican Party. Song of Solomon is, is unacceptable to Republican politics. 40% of banned books have report, reported are significantly addressing and specifically addressing LGBT issues. This Republican bill is asking the government to force the outing of LGBT people before they are ready. When we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive value is, and that is freedom over fascism. Thank you very much. Time. Okay, so as we as we talking about integration, we talking about the hospitals and stuff. I think it's very important for us black people who live in Mississippi, who are natives of Mississippi, and who vote in Mississippi to get to know who's on the ballot. There's an upcoming election, November seventh. Yes, next it is. Month. Yes, so it is. I I want all the black people who are listening to this to go and look at who's on the ballot. Look up these people's names, look up their policies, what they want to do, who they represent. Who they represent, what district are they from? I would I would say when you say that local politics is actually the, more, more important than national politics because that's affecting you directly. Yes, and people, every day. Yes, and Mississippi, if you want to be a Georgia, if you want to be the whole state blue, there are more black people in the state of Mississippi, more black than people anywhere in else South. else. There's Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama. So we actually have the opportunity to create change, especially while the generation of baby boomers are still here. They're actively getting out and voting. So like we need to match their energy if not excel it if we want to see ourselves prosper i i i find it very ironic that we can have a conversation about what's being done on social media who's doing this what rapper is saying this but when it comes to politics then there is crickets there's crickets there's and i'm nothing. not trying to come down on anybody because like i said there there's a such thing called po um political 
privilege. But there is so there's so many resources out here. And for Google you. been free, been free. I, I don't, free that I don't know Google. the last time that they charge for Google. Yeah, I just went on Google this morning. So Hold on, let me give some um some resources. If you are on TikTok or Instagram, I strongly suggest that you follow Joy Reid on social media. Um, she's an MSNBC. She's a liberal commentator. Yes, and her takes are phenomenal, and they are just right. It is national news, but it is the type of news that you want to see and understand because it empathizes with us as Black minority people. Um, I also recommend Under the Desk News. Um, she is a white lesbian TikToker, very liberal, but very unbiased. Great news on a national level, and it's very entertaining. And she also does a banana shirt thursdays where she makes sure to specifically give us positive news in the media because we always overlook positivity in the media who else would you recommend i would recommend Teslin figaro she's uh if y'all listen to the breakfast club she's the lady that does the front page news every morning she also has a podcast that you can download well you can actually search it on apple and um she's an independent and so when i say i actually morgan knows this i listen to all sides. When I say I listen to CNN, I watch Fox News, uh-huh. and I I listen to people who are independent. Like they they don't affiliate with either party, but they consider themselves independent. Cause to me, I feel like. I can't be just stuck with my bubble of the way I'm Yeah, thinking. you will get stuck in echo chambers if you don't try to expand, like, what's being going on. Because yes. the media is controlled. So, when I say I might not can deal with the mega people, but I, I listen, like I said, I listen to Fox News, and I only listen to one person. She's black. She's Her name is Harris Faulkner, but I mean, she, but... Um, I listen to all sides just so I can form my opinion because I never want to be a think person of group leading. Yes. Um, rhetoric and rhetoric, thought. Like just thinking how other people think. Like me yeah, and Morgan. you want to be able to make your own decisions. Yeah, like me and Morgan, we, we talk about things all the time. Like, oh, no, nah, Morgan. Because you know. me and Amelia listen to Tabitha. We listen to Tabitha. You listen to Tabitha yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. I listen to her on TikTok. And I love the way she delivers the news, too. And then they stream um the debates. I don't know if you are listening. We, Me and Amelia have been watching the Republican it's debates. It's very entertaining. It is very entertaining. You, you'll it's be very laughing messy. all. The next one is in, in November. If y'all watch that, I'm, y'all going to be laughing and then i want to suggest gen z for change as a news network um it's a great way to understand the news at a very simplified and fast pace but it's still interesting and intriguing for people who are of my age and younger to be able to understand what's going on the world like that's like national that's is it now this global news as well as national news too i would also say go follow mississippi today they are they are the the newspaper called mississippi today but they have a youtube they they're the actual people who broke the story on the the goon squad in jackson in well actually rankin county um so that's local shout out to the slaves yeah shout out to the slaves you feel me shout out to harriet tubman shout out to the mississippi niggas yeah yeah shout, shout out to the mississippi, mississippi. yeah big penitentiary tractor dra- dragon ass niggas yeah 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 and they don't talk loud they whisper dangerous niggas whisper and shout out again to all those people who hate my guts y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world keep breaking these men down one at a time shout out lgbtq you are obsessed and sick
and we are back with the big black shout out the blackest shout out in the world for those who do not know the big black shout out is an excellent opportunity to help circulate the black dollar back into our communities and for audience members to explore black owned hidden gems so amelia who would you like to shout out today yes First, I want to thank you being a black entrepreneur yes. for inviting me on. Um, I know that I'll be in the background and just da 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 da, but I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> so that's my first shout out. Yeah, shout out shout to out the Afrocentric Podcast. Yes, 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 okay, my second shout out is to my cousin in West Point. Her name is Kim. Kimberly Guy, mm-hmm. but she know she goes by Kim, and her her she does hair, she does braids, and she will come to you if need be. Um, and her business name is Blessed by K, and um, you can find her on Facebook. And she doesn't have a big business page right now, but you you can find her on Facebook, Blessed by K. Yes. The word Blessed, and then the word By, and then the letter capital K. That's powerful. And then my third shout out is to my brother in law, which I, he's my daughter. <laughs> he's my daughter's uncle, but he's still my brother in law. Um, his his business is running on e graphics in Columbus, Mississippi. I know y- if, if y'all. Like them t-shirts. Yes. Yes, your homeboy died. You can put them on a t-shirt. He's the person who did all the uh, Artesia shirts, the Crawford Day shirts. Mm -hmm. He does all the surrounding school t-shirts as well. Yeah. He he employs young black men and young black women. So y'all can hit him up on um, Facebook. And um, he's on um, Highway 69. So if y'all know where that's at in Columbus, Mississippi, Mississippi, sorry about that, cause she, baby, she global, huh? <laughs> but um, she international. <laughs> um, but yes, in Columbus, Mississippi, running on e graphics, and he will hook you up, and he he's just he's just a person that's helping his community. He he's a graduate of the W in Columbus, Mississippi. Shout out to the women of the W of Mississippi and, and the yes. men that go there too. Yes. So those are my shout outs. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Now, if you or someone you know has a black owned business and you feel like they need a shout out or you would like to give them more exposure, make sure you are emailing me at Afrocentric Podcast. That's Afrocentric Podcast at gmail.com. Now, young people, it's time to get up and vote no cap democracy is stronger when all people participate if you run into any problems make sure you are calling the voter protection hotline at any time that number is 866 our vote or make sure you hit them up on their website at 866ourvote.gov/state/mississippi/backslash make sure you're following our organization fair count on social media that's at fair count and we will be sharing voting resources instagram youtube videos we have a twitter account a facebook account you need it you name it we got it when voting in person let me give you a couple tips and this applies to anyone make sure you stay in line take your umbrella a book some AirPods, take your phone, download some music, movies, your favorite television show. Make sure to bring your own water and snacks and do not share any water or snacks with other people. Bring a lawn chair, bring a towel for the ground. Hopefully you won't have to spend a great deal of time in a line. 
Remember that the polls must be open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Central Time on Election Day. A voter in line at the polling place by 7 p.m. must be allowed to vote. Are you looking to vote absentee? Make sure you contact your county circuit clerk as soon as possible in order to see if you're eligible. All mail-in absentee ballots must be postmarked by Election Day, November 7th. Remember, you guys, your voices do matter. Make sure you get up and vote. No cap. Amelia, I want to thank you so much for coming. Girl, this was a really educational, informative um, podcast yeah, episode. Yes, Um. again, I want to ask you, who do you think will survive America? Man, the people who've been surviving ever since they got here. Oh. My people, my oh. black people. Ow. Okay. And I know that's right. So, me before I let you go, do you have any last words for the black community? Anything that you want to say? I would like to say be educational. Forget all the wokeness that you hear people saying. You know I mean, is you sleep? Do Ooh. you want to be sleep? My God. Because I, I don't want to be sleep. You want to be woke. I want to be in the land of the living. Mm. I want to be seen and not viewed. I want to be not carried by 12 mm. people. And put six up six, under. Yes. So I want y'all to stay educational. Stay um, aware of things. Stay strapped and stay ready. Yes, and just love on one another. Get to know people outside of your community. Make sure that you are helping a neighbor out. The local politics is all fine, but what are you doing in your community to impact your actual community? Yes, thank you so much, Amelia. That was so well put. Now, I want to thank you for choosing to be Afrocentric today, as well as thank my listening audience. Thank you guys so much for choosing to be Afrocentric. Please remember that Black Lives Matter. Make sure that you listen and protect Black women and children. And the only thing you must do in this lifetime is be Black and die. Now, here at the Afrocentric Podcast, we're just civilized people having civilized conversations. We'll talk to you guys soon. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. We really need to bring back shame and embarrassment. For example, it's people that be at the club every Friday, every Saturday, but ain't registered to vote. You over 18 because you stay at the club. Why can't you register to vote? It ain't that hard. You know that that's that's embarrassing, Pookie. That you're not registered to vote. People fall for these rights and you just lollygagging around. Girl, these people trying to take away your rights. You need to go register to vote.